Let's, uh, let's pray as we go into the word this morning. Father, I, I ask that you would um, draw near to us as we draw near to you as you promised that you would. We put our confidence in, in your faithfulness, in your truthfulness, in your goodness, and in the revelation of who you are through your word this morning. Um, you are the head of the church, Jesus. You are our head. And we submit ourselves gladly to you, Jesus, because you're a great head. You're, uh, you're the, the best leader. You're uh, the most loving, kind, caring, just, right leader that we could ever have. And, uh, and we thank you for your leadership in our lives. We thank you for your leadership in the life of this church. And we pray, God, that in this season we would experience the, the blessedness of just joyfully submitting to you and, and, and enjoying the, the journey of where you take us. Thank you for this season, God. We embrace all that you're doing in our lives and in all that you're doing in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you were here last week, we started a series on marriage, and um, this week we're going to continue to do that. Uh, if you want a title, it's called More Than Just Married, because if you were here last week, you may have maybe caught on to the fact that the essence of what was shared last week was, was really just a call to understand our covenant as a covenant when we're married. And so it was kind of a lowest common denominator challenge in that I wasn't asking anyone to aspire to anything except simply to stay married. And that's a, no, uh, a, no, uh, a noble and worthy ambition. Uh, and yet this morning, I just my sense is that clearly the Lord wants to call us higher than just coexisting in the same uh, home, perhaps, you know, within the, within the, uh, uh, the boundaries of a legal marriage, I believe the Lord has much more for us than that. And we, we, we painted the picture of marriage through Ephesians 5, where Paul is using the relationship between Christ and his church, sorry, he was using the relationship between a husband and wife to illustrate the, the reality of Christ's relationship to the church. And so clearly, Jesus' highest ambition in his relationship to the church is not that we simply coexist and stare at opposite walls in the same house, but that we actually enjoy intimate fellowship with one another, and that, that we, we, we share in genuine and authentic and consistent, warm relationship. And so clearly, if that's the desire of Jesus with his church, using this uh, parallel that's very clear in Ephesians 5, he would desire for us in our marriages to do the same thing. Because again, marriage is intended to be a parable. It's intended to illustrate this, this relationship between Christ and the church. And so we want to do that as accurately as possible. And so that's where we're going this morning. We want to be more than just married. We want to be married in such a way that the relationship between Christ and his church is illustrated well. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 21. Uh, I know we read this last week, but we're going to read it again um, and and look at at it from a few different angles. Um, if uh, If you look earlier in Ephesians, actually, the context of this passage, because I think the danger sometimes when we read these passages, because they have a lot of practical application, they're easy to read just as, a, as an isolated passage of Scripture. But the, the context of the, within the book of Ephesians that Paul is writing, as you read earlier in the, in the chapter, it's, it's interesting. In verse 1, he says, follow God's example. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ uh, loved and gave himself up for us. That's in verse 1 and 2 of Ephesians 5. That Christ gave himself up for us. That Christ loved us in this way. That we're to walk in the way of love. We're to follow the example of Christ. And so that passage, that teaching, this, the essence of the teaching that Paul is giving in Ephesians, and, and, and specifically in Ephesians 5, is first and foremost to the entire church. It's not simply to those, it's not exclusively to those who are married. It's to Christians. He's saying, Christians, if you follow Christ, follow the example of Christ in the same way that Christ loved the church and laid himself down for her. Do the same for one another. Follow his example. And that same exact uh, phrase is used later on when Paul is instructing husbands and wives. So that's verse 1 of Ephesians 5. Now skip down to verse 21. It says, submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. Again, a universal command. We'll look at this a little bit more, but we'll read all the way through verse 33 to begin with. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own hus- to your submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as as the church submits to Christ, So also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, But they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So again, This passage isn't primarily a set of practical instructions for husbands and wives. It's first and foremost a universal instruction to to Christians to, to, to live a certain way in relation one to another. And then he takes that same train of thought, applies it into the marriage relationship between husband and wife. But then he says that he's actually not even just talking about that. He's talking about uh, revealing the mystery of God in his relationship to the church. And so the first and foremost message on Paul's heart when he's writing this letter is to show us how wonderful Jesus is in the way that he relates to the church. And then he's saying, and also take the, the, you know, the practicality of that, take the example of Jesus, apply that in your marriages after you've applied that to all of your relationships as a church. And so, um, for those of you young, old, married, single, in any social situation here, the application is the same. Uh, you know, your, your specific context might be different. But the spirit uh, that, that Paul is going for here uh, can, can be accepted and received by all of us and should be. Um, he says, he begins by saying in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's an interesting passage because when we consider uh, the hierarchy of our relationships one to another, there really is none, right? There might be a few in this room who have a boss also in this room, or uh, you know, a father or a mother. There's some, perhaps, hierarchical relationships within, within the, the context of, of people that you interact with here who are Christians. And yet, this passage isn't talking about simply husband Uh, or sorry, father-son relationships, or boss-employee relationships, it's saying to all Christians at all times, submit yourselves one to another. Well, that's an odd instruction, isn't it? Because I didn't sign up for that. You know, I don't know if you've ever had an option between two jobs. You know, maybe you've interviewed and you've had two jobs, and and maybe the pay is similar, and the job specifics are similar, and, and you're not sure which to go for. You might actually weigh your decision on which boss you like better. That might be part of your criteria. You might even be willing to take a pay cut because you might think, I'm going to have to interact with this person at a, at a pretty heavy level, and if I don't like them, I don't want to submit myself to them, I'm going to choose the other person even if it costs me a little bit. Most of the time, when we are sub- subject to somebody else's authority, we had a say in the matter. Not always. Uh, you know, we have a democratic process in this nation. We end up with leaders we like. We end up with leaders we voted for who end up to be liars, and then we don't like them anymore uh, sometimes. But other times we vote for somebody and we get somebody we don't like, and yet there's still a call for us to submit to authority. But we tend to think of, of submission in the context of, of established authority that we either have to submit to or chose to, choose to submit to. And yet, what Paul is saying here is pretty radical because it actually goes way beyond that. It says if you belong to the church, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a mandate on your life to submit one to another out of reverence for Jesus. So because we have a common authority in Jesus as the head of the church, who is our supreme authority, who we've, as Christians, which is what brought us into Christianity was we subjected ourselves to his authority and said, no, you're right. I'm wrong. 
I'll take what you're offering. Stop giving you what you don't want. I'm in. Thank you, Jesus. And and that's how we entered into our covenant relationship with Christ. So we've collectively submitted to him. And in doing so, we now have this call to submit one to another out of reverence for him, not out of reverence for one another. If I required that you revere every person in this room, uh, you would be you would have a, a legitimate argue, argument in many cases to tell me why you shouldn't revere that person. And Paul's not saying you should submit to one another out of reverence for one another. He's saying you should submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus because he's our supreme head. And so as, as a church, here's, here's our glorious reality. Glorious in the spirit, not so glorious in the flesh. So if you're still in flesh mode this morning, this is going to be hard. But if you're in spirit mode this morning, like, I mean, in terms of like, you're walking in the spirit, you're thinking in the spirit, you're, you're, you're enjoying the fellowship of the spirit, then, then you'll enjoy this. We get to submit to each other and we're mandated to do so. Every one of us, all the time, with everybody who belongs to Jesus out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean? That means that because Jesus, because you know, we just read in Ephesians 5, we are one body. Because of that one bodiness, that, that, that reality that we live in, and Christ's greatest commandment to love him with all of our hearts and then to love our neighbor as ourselves, a, a, a good understanding of how, what that means practically as we boil it down to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love those who belong to the family of God, as Galatians 6 talks about, giving even priority to, what does that look like? That looks like the same way that I submit myself to Jesus as my authority. I then, out of reverence for him, I submit myself to my brothers and sisters, and I give preference to them any time that I possibly can. And, and to the degree that I don't, I repent of those things, and I live to serve somebody else, whoever needs it at the time I'm considering it. Or at the time that I have opportunity. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's interesting that he, 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 he teaches this first before he goes specifically into marriage. But the spirit of submission to one another is really the spirit of the Christian because it's the spirit of Jesus. Jesus submitted himself to the Father in all things. Jesus, it says... He even said of himself, he said, I don't do anything that I don't see the Father doing. I'm sure there was days where Jesus wanted to do lots of things and didn't want to do lots of things. Clearly, we know that the cross wasn't, you know, high on his list the day that he was in Gethsemane praying, which is why he was in Gethsemane praying, because he was agonizing over submission to his Father's will to be crushed for our iniquity. And yet, more clearly than in any other situation that we see Jesus Submitting to his father, we see Jesus gladly saying, hey, not, not my will be done. I, I would prefer anything to this, because who wouldn't? But I'll, I'll willingly subject myself to the authority of my father and do his will so that his will can be done. Not my will, but yours be done, Lord, was his prayer. So the essence of the way that Jesus uh, interacted with the father was, was submission. It was at the core of it. And really, when, what we just read here twice in verse 1 and later uh, in, in verse 24 or so, it says that he loved the church and gave himself up for it. Jesus submitted himself to the church, which is absurd because Jesus, we just read, is the head of the church, right? And heads, typically we don't think of the head of something, the leader of something, the, the superior within an organization, we don't think of them as submissive. And yet this is where Jesus turns the tables on us and he does it radically and he does it out of love. But Jesus, in giving himself up for the church, was manifesting submission, was he not? He gave himself up for the church. And so he's redefining leadership. He's redefining what, what authority is supposed to be modeled after for us. He's, he, you know, he rebuked the disciples and said the, the Gentiles, they lord authority over each other because they want to be known as great. They want to feel powerful. They want to have a lot of prestige with people. But not so with you. This is, follow my example. I'm going to wash your feet and I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give myself up for you. I'm submitting myself to your good. Jesus did that. Jesus continues to do that. That's why we... In, in large part, why we worship him and recognize his, his deity, because he 
by the power of the Holy Spirit even had the ability to do that and even the desire to do that. And so we see Jesus submitting himself to the church out of love as an expression of love, even when he's the head of the church. And, and, and so the, the, the essence of the way that Jesus interacts with us is that he serves. He takes that towel and he serves. And it's not, of, it's not you know, I, I, think, I, I can think of times where I just knew that I served. And, and the first thing that I want to do when I've served really well and selflessly is let a lot of people know. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. You know, you, you realize, wow, I've been selfish for so long and I've been self-absorbed and, and I'm, I'm all about lording authority. And then I get this revelation of, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to serve and I serve and it actually feels really good. And when it feels really good, I don't know about you, but I like to tell people, you know, write in my newsletter about how great it was. But Jesus doesn't do that. It's, and, it, it, and, and there's other times where I've, I've chosen service simply because I know it's the right thing to do. And you kind of got to just grit your teeth a little bit and do it. And you, you almost feel like you deserve a badge for it because it was so hard. You know, even if you don't tell and broadcast it to a whole lot of people. But for Jesus, it's just who he is. Like, when, when you see the, the way that Jesus serves the church... It just, it's remarkable to me that it just seems to flow from, from, a, from, from who he is. And it's, it's like, it's no thing to him. I just serve because I'm Jesus and that's what I do. I love. What, you almost come to expect it from him after a while. It doesn't even surprise you anymore because that's just kind of his MO. He, he, that's how he operates. And it is. And it's beautiful. And then he just calls us to do the same thing, to submit ourselves one to another. So when we get into the specifics of this for marriage, as Paul does, Paul t- carries this, this line of thinking into the rest of his teaching here. As we do that, and this concept of submission comes up, or this concept of love, and they're very closely related. Because to really love somebody in the same way that Jesus loved the church, it, 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 it's, it's so similar to submitting yourself to him, not in a hierarchical sort of way, but simply saying, hey, your well-being is more important than my well-being, so whatever it takes for me to serve you, I'm going to do that even to my own hurt in order to make your situation better. Which is ultimately what the cross was about, obviously. We get eternity, he got punished. The, 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 the deservingness of that got, got turned at the cross. But, but the essence of really... What we said when we signed up to be followers of Jesus was, I'm submitting to his authority. He's, he's superior. He's the head. I'm subject. He loves me. He wooed me and called me into that. He, he's not a, a, an authoritarian head. He's a serving head. He's a loving head. But we subject ourselves to the authority of God. And the scriptures in the New Testament, Romans in particular, Paul speaks of those who don't submit themselves to God. And they're enemies of the cross. And he has various other titles for them. And so, my point is this. Is that as we consider the concept of submission and love in marriage or in our universal relationships one to another. What we're simply saying is, we're Christians. We're simply doing the thing that Jesus modeled for us and taught us to do. And so, um, specifically when we get into the wives submit to your husband's part, I think the reason that tends to cause us to bristle in part, and you know, obviously there's some cultural norms that, that make that a bit of a jolt for us, but, but I, I wonder if at times we, we haven't just fully come to terms with or even understood the, the, the universal call for us to submit to one another, and so it seems strange, and, and what I'm trying to say is that it shouldn't seem strange to be told or called to submit to somebody else or to love somebody else in such a way that it inflicts loss on ourselves for the sake of their gain. That shouldn't seem strange because that's what Jesus did for us. And that's, in essence, what we're called to do as his disciples. Amen? So... Um, 1 Corinthians 8, let me give you a real quick illustration of this. Then I'm going to invite Jen Lawrence to come up. Jen is a friend of mine. She's the prayer coordinator here at church. And she, um, she just shared a great story, uh, an experience she had in, in uh, walking this out. In fact, Jen, why don't you come on up? 
let you go first. So just talking to Jen in the office this week, and, uh, and we were talking about this, and Jen said, oh, that's just like this experience I had, and I thought, I need to have Jen share that. So Jen, take the time that you need to share your experience Thank learning you, to submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, the, as I was listening to Ken last week even, and thinking about how that applies to me, and I'm not married, I'm, I'm single, so there's lots of other relationships in my life where I'm called to live exactly the way Ken is talking, and um, as I've been given opportunities to embrace that reality, um, the Sermon on the Mount is what has stood out to me over the years, um, sometimes uh, in failure of living this out well, well um, and then later on, um, been given better opportunities to live that out while receiving teaching over and over again on the Sermon on the Mount and thinking about the things that are in that teaching of Jesus, meekness, mercy, peacemaking, reconciliation, not judging. Um, If you're angry or someone is angry against you, leaving your gift at the altar and going back and making it right with them, letting your light shine before men, the golden rule, and loving loving people that way that you would treat them the way that you want to be treated. Um, I've been given opportunities over the years uh, on the mission field and right here at Bethany for the last 12 years or so to look, live uh, among other people and work in community with them and work alongside of them. And sometimes I've failed in that, and sometimes it's, it's been better. But I think that what I wanna, wanted to convey to Ken and want to convey to you guys this morning is the importance of embracing that teaching of the Sermon on the Mount and how empowering that is to actually succeed in this. And um, looking back to working alongside of people like Dave Horseman and Stephen Andrews and Angie Ferguson and Terry Bowman, where we were um, building a ministry together. And Simeon Hart Drink, a lot of you um, know these people in, in this room this morning. And very different people who didn't see things the same way, especially myself. There are a lot of creative artists, right brain people. I'm not so much <laughs> more left brain um, in, and in the way that I think about things and how how they should be approached. <laughs> I'm getting an amen down here. <laughs> Dave Wilcock knows this about me. Um, and that becomes really challenging to work well and submit well alongside of each other. And the beautiful thing about that experience, though, was that we were, we were studying the Sermon on the Mount so frequently that you couldn't just brush stuff under the carpet and move on. Um, you couldn't just be frustrated. How can you be frustrated with Dave Horseman? I don't know, but <laughs> you, know, you can't. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> his son's over here. You're never frustrated with your dad, are you? <laughs> um, but when you see things so differently, and the, the beauty of community is not that there's the absence of conflict. There's not the absence of that. It's knowing how to work that out well. And Ken talked about that last, last week, that actually the conflicts can be good as long as you resolve them well and are committed to loving each other, hearing each other out, and even learning how to celebrate the differences. And that was one thing in that season of my life that not necessarily in the beginning, but through embracing the Sermon on the Mount and talking it through and praying together and getting mediators if it was really bad. <laughs> and, um, and then I look back at that now, and all these people that are so different than me that wouldn't do things the way that I think it should be done, I love them more for their differences than I could have ever imagined. And that was a gift from the Lord because we gave him room to give us grace to love each other and to submit to one another. And I love their differences now and can celebrate them, whereas in the beginning, probably not so much. <laughs> um, anyway, that's Thanks, Jen. just a little glimpse. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that um, just because it illustrates exactly the point that I'm making. And that is that, um, you know, just because we're not boss employee in a boss-employee relationship or what have you, we have this mandate to submit to another because it's a manifestation of loving one another. It's just a commitment to say, you know what? I'm not the most important. That's really what it cuts to is, you know, the scriptures say, don't think of yourself more highly. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Do we do that? We do. And when we look at our brothers and sisters and simply say, your well-being is more important than my own. Therefore, I'm going to serve. I'm going to subject myself. I'm going to go lower. I'm going to do whatever it takes to produce peace where there's conflict, within the confines of what's right. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to, I'm going to be 
radically committed to peace where conflict would would be the norm. I'll be radically committed to, to my brothers having their next meal at the expense of myself having my next meal. That's submission. It's love. And it's universally mandated to Christians. And so when we've accepted that, then we can transition into the conversation about marriage just as smoothly as Paul did and say, oh, so I'm just supposed to be a Christian in my marriage, right? See, the the greater degree to which we embrace the cross enables us then to to just do this in marriage. And it actually, if, if we can embrace it universally, I think it, it prepares us well if we're not married and, and might be married at some point. But if you embrace it as a universal command, uh, then, then I think the application of it in marriage just becomes a natural flow from that same place. Now granted, when you're married, your spouse is your closest neighbor, right? And so Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you're not married, you know who the people are that this will challenge you with the most. Uh, you know, I can think of living in a dorm as a college student. And there was guys that were harder to love than other guys. Um, and, 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 and so whatever your, your situation is, you know, whoever your closest neighbor is, is usually the person that is the most challenging to do that with this with the most. Because you just, you know, you have more opportunity to love them in this way. But when you're married, your spouse really is your closest neighbor, right? If they're not, that's probably a problem. Uh, you spend more time with them. Your, your, your forced interaction is, is there. Uh, you, you have to. You, you can't escape. I know when Laura and I first got married, you know, just coming to terms with the, the reality that we, we just can't run when we have a conflict. You know, when you have a conflict with a guy that's kind of your associate at work and you only see him once a month, you can just ignore it. You can just hide, pretend it never existed, turn the other way when you see him in the hall, you know, avoid the water cooler when you know he goes to the water cooler. And, and, and you really aren't forced into it. I mean, you should as a Christian based on what we're talking about here anyways. But we don't. But when you get married, I, I know Laura and I had moments where we just realized, hey, uh, yeah, I guess we better work through this because we're, we're neighbors. And uh, it's going to be in our own best interest to do that. And so Paul transitions the same, the same teaching into marriage. Um, and he says... Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. So specifically to those who are married now and men, I want to just echo Paul's words to you. Husbands, love your wives in the same manner that Christ loves his church and gave himself up for her. Likely you're aware of the specific context, you know, your own marriage dynamics if I gave you 30 seconds to brainstorm some really practical ways in which you could play that out, I'm sure all of you men could, could jot down a couple of points. And that's probably all you need this morning. You don't need an exhaustive list. If you can think of one or two ways that your wife really needs you to love her, let me just say, do, do those things. I have a close friend who was telling me recently that he was praying this, God, help me love my wife as Christ loves the church. And it was just a real fervent prayer for him. He he had these lofty ideas of what that would look like. And was, was, I, I think there was some expectation that some supernatural occurrence would occur where he was invigorated with love at a whole new level than he'd ever been before. And he was in the kitchen praying uh, this prayer, God, help me love my wife as you love your church. And, and the Holy Spirit whispered to him, wash the dishes. <laughs> and he said, Lord, help me love my wife as Christ. <laughs> and the Lord said it to him repeatedly, which, you know, might speak of the condition of his heart to a degree. Um, just do the dishes. Oh, you know, in that situation at that time, obviously there was, he just knew that's going to work, or the Holy Spirit at least knew. That's the ticket this morning, this afternoon. Just, just, it's not in your normal scope of duties. Nobody's going to be upset if you don't do the dishes. But boy, wouldn't it be a blessing if she just walked in the room and the dishes were done? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Or whatever. Love your wives in such a way that you go above and beyond. It's so terrible having to preach this stuff. 
I remember. <laughs> I, I just know. It's just a big trap. Praise God. It's a great trap. You can all hold me accountable to it. You're going to anyway. Laura, my wife's here this morning. God help me. Um, <laughs> I, was at a, I, I preached a wedding this last summer, and uh, I preached a message about loving your wife as Christ loves the church. And then I was sitting down at the reception, and somebody was calling for... <laughs> my wife wanted pictures of our whole family. And I remember making a snarky comment about how I just hate having to get the kids in order for pictures. But I know my wife loved picture, loves pictures, and somebody else who had just heard my message that day called me on it right there in front of her. Didn't you just preach something about loving your wife? <laughs> yes, uh, Let's line the kids up and have them smile. Let's just take a picture. Pictures just ruin everything. But So I I know what I'm doing when I say this. But the command is, husbands, love your wives. You heard it as much as I said it. So we're all in this together, guys. Love your wives as Christ loves the church. And he gave himself up for her. And And obviously the cross is the full manifestation of him giving himself up for her. But Jesus didn't start giving himself up for the church at the cross. That's where he ended giving himself up for the church. That was the culmination of him giving himself up for the church. The fact that we even know Jesus as a human man is is a radical example of Jesus giving himself up for the church. He's God. Before Abraham was, I am, he said. I made you. I'm deity, and now I'm a human. And not only am I human, I came as a baby to a poor family, born in a stable. I washed your feet. I stayed up all night, and I healed your sick. And then you woke me up early in the morning, and I didn't get crabby about it. I taught you the way to God. I showed you the way to God. I raised the dead. It exhausted me. I prayed. I've depended on God the Father, when my whole life I was one with God the Father in such a way that I think this relationship is unique and very difficult for Jesus. The the, the whole existence of Jesus, everything Jesus ever did at His essence was love and service and sacrifice and submission. So, So don't get hung up on you have to die for your wife. You just have to love her the way Jesus loved from the very beginning. If it mandates death, so be it. It'll feel like it some days, and that's okay. Take it with joy. And that's not because she's bad. It's just because you're bad. It should be natural to you. Love your wives this way. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Overlook her weaknesses. Guys, I think, I think one of the biggest uh, enemies of, of unity within a marriage that does rightly reflect the parable of Christ and his relationship to the church is harboring revenge, holding wrongs against your spouse. Guys, forgive your wives. They've sinned. You've sinned. Wives, of course, this applies both ways. You're in covenant with one another. What kind of covenant? The same kind of covenant that God made with you. And what did God do within the context of that covenant with you? He overlooked your sin. Do the same. Don't don't hold it against the person, And if they have sinned, trust them again. Because they're fully trustworthy? No, because love always trusts. If they were fully trustworthy, you wouldn't even have to love them. It would, it would be too easy to love them. It shouldn't even be called love then. Love to trust somebody as a manifestation of love means that there's a reason that you would have to check yourself why you wouldn't trust them. Right? Right. In case you didn't know. Yes. Amen. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Submit in everything, it says. I was taught at one point that, before I was married, that submission really was only mandated wife to husband when things got really hot and you just couldn't come to an agreement and it got pushed right to the edge of of disaster and then the wife had to submit to the husband just to make things get along. Somebody actually taught me that. And I was like, all right. I, I didn't know how to discern that. It says, submit to your wives, submit to your husbands in everything. In 1 Peter 3, Peter talks about having a quiet, submissive spirit, women, because that's beautiful to God. I encourage you to read that, ladies, 1 Peter 3. A quiet and submissive spirit. The spirit in which you relate to your husband is the same spirit that we're universally mandated to, 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 to relate to one another always. 
It's a quiet, submissive spirit. It's not hard to get along with, not ornery, not difficult, not hard to get. Just considerate, kind, forgiving, loving, generous, etc. All the time. You know what it produces? It produces peace. I'm a big fan of peace. I grew up in chaos. It's partly why I'm such a fan of peace. I love, I just, there's nothing as beautiful to me as just coming home. It doesn't have to be quiet all the time. Peace and quiet is nice sometimes, but when you have five children, it's a luxury. Especially when one of them is four weeks old. Uh, not a lot of quiet these days, but I love that my wife produces peace in our home. There's just order. Gets a little wonky sometimes, just because there's a lot of moving parts. But overall, I would characterize our home as a peaceful place. A place where I can let my guard down. I don't have to be anybody. It's just home. So I invited my wife to come and share just from a wife's perspective. Because as hard as I try, uh, I'm not a wife. And I'm happy about that. But I do have a wife. She's a good wife. And, and she's, the Lord has just brought her on a journey of embracing her mandate in this, and, and it's beautiful. It really is. I can vouch for her, um, and I won't tell you about any of her failures because it's part of my job to overlook those, so I'm certainly not going to expose them, and, and she won't, by God's good grace, do the same for me. <laughs> so, Laura, you can, you can share for a few minutes. I have a couple stories. I'm, I'm not going to tell stories. Um, so, Seth, if you can pull up the, the first verse, I just want to read it to you. Um, and this is Titus 2 four through five. Um, it refers first, I'll just read a, a couple verses ahead. It's a reference. It speaks specifically to older women than younger women and older men, younger men. Uh, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers. Older women. Did I say men? I'm so sleep deprived. <laughs> likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine but to teach what is good. And then it says this. So then those older women can train the younger women to love their, there's seven things. I think there's seven things last time I counted, uh, can train the younger women to love their husbands, love their children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that the word of God may not be maligned. So there's seven things that the older women are specifically told they're supposed to treat, train the younger women in. And, um, NIV, ESV, uh, say it slightly different, but it's verse uh, 6. It says they're to be subject to their own husbands. And if you look at that in the Greek uh, translation, it's the word is more directly translated to be submitted to their husband, which is a dependent position is what it says. So um, those are the things that the younger women are supposed to be receiving instruction from older women on what to be. And it specifically says they need to be taught how to love. I love that it first says you need to be taught how to love your husband. You need to be taught how to love your child. That might not be natural. And I love that. that that's okay that it might not be natural when you first enter into marriage. You don't necessarily know how to love a, your spouse or how to love your children. And God sets up in a, a beautiful picture Older women just train the younger women to do this. Assuming, older women, you're also doing this as well. Train your daughters. Train, train people who are not your blood daughters. Train other women. There's so many women in the church who want discipleship um, just in general. But train them on how to do this. Um, and specifically, it says, train them on what it looks like to submit to their husband. Because they might not know, and it might not be natural, and that's okay. Um, and then the I, and I think that it's, it's okay that it might not be natural as long as... As you're continuing to walk in the Lord, he continues to take you from height to height in the Lord. And as you continue to remain in him and abide in him, you learn better how to submit to God. And the more you learn how to submit to God and to submit one to another, like Ken was saying, it's very, it's an easy transition to then submit in marriage. Um, easy transition might not be the right word, but it, it, beca- it comes natural as you're learning. As you're learning, it's not about you. As you're learning how to lay your life down in general then that becomes quite natural to lay it down um, in marriage. And so the next verse I just want to share with you is 1 Peter 3, 4. Um, it talks about, uh, this is just a precious passage. I, I would love it if you guys could meditate on these and study these on your own. But 1 Peter 3, 4 says, um, your outer beauty should not come from blah, blah, blah. And then 3, 4, it says, instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And in the ESV, I don't know which we have here, but in the, does it, what is this version? 
It's very, yeah, I love that. It's very precious in God's sight. A gentle and a quiet spirit is very precious. Why? Because it's not handed to you on a silver platter. I think God knows all that you have to walk through and process to, at the end result, have a gentle and a quiet spirit. And I've, I've had both. And I know the beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. It's, it's incredible. Um, and God says it's very precious. It's very precious to him as you practice laying down your life. As you practice acting like Jesus, it's precious to him because he doesn't force any one of us into it. But it's precious as you abide in him and you learn what it means to lay your life down. It's beautiful. I love that he says very precious. Um, so I, though, just a couple nuggets that I would say is one, the word is our standard for this. I'm not the standard for this and no woman in here is the standard for this. But the word speaks for itself. And so study the word and pursue the word and then... Um, and it will, it will become clear to you. The Holy Spirit knows how to highlight what he wants to highlight in your life to grow this in you. I would also say it's not just saying yes. It's not just saying um, yes to everything your husband asks of you. That's not necessarily submission. I think submission looks different based on different personalities and different... Because we're all so different. We relate to the Lord differently. We... He, the Lord leads me into prayer and fasting where he might lead Ken into getting up at 5 a.m. every morning to do X, Y, Z. He leads us differently. So this will look differently in every marriage. So don't look at another marriage and, and compare yourself or line it up to you. Line yourself up to the word and see how the Lord, you know, pricks this apart in your own life. So I would say it's not just saying yes all the time, but, um, but it's a place of just trusting God's plan. When God tells me to submit to my husband, um, I, when I choose to walk that out, what I'm really saying is, God, I trust that you know so much better than I do. You have set up a perfect system, and I can come under that perfect system and receive that covering and receive that protection of your perfect system. It's not saying, I perfectly 100% trust that Ken would never fail. Well, of course he can fail. He's a human. But if I submit myself to him, I'm submitting myself to a greater authority than even Ken. It's, it's God, Ken. And I'm submitting myself under that perfect plan. And there is incredible covering in that. Um, I, uh, you know, in our own life, I have been at places where when we first got married, we would go to buy a vehicle. And Ken's like, I'm looking at this car. And I say, well, I want to come because I took all these auto maintenance classes in high school. And I really did. And I, and I prided myself on being, um, working with my dad on cars when I was a kid. So I thought I could better ascertain what was a great vehicle purchase. And so we, I would like tag along, you know, Ooh, I just, I can't, I must've looked so ugly. Like, you know, just that nagging, like, honey, did you check under here? But not, I don't want to say it to embarrass him. So after the dealer walks away, I'm like, you know, pointing out things I think he's missed or it's just, but my, and that, and that might be fine for some of you guys that might be fine. My heart wasn't submitted. My heart said, I need to look out for myself, but a submitted heart as God's grown this in me, I don't care if he buys 10 vehicles and the bigger thing that I don't care and I don't need to go along or buy a house or buy whatever. And I mean that the bigger thing that has come in my place is I know I'm just undercover. I love that phrase. I'm just under his covering and I trust God's perfect plan. And I trust that this is God's perfect plan mm -hmm. submitting and him loving me. That is perfection. That's beauty. And so as I do that, then it's beautiful. Um, and I, I want you to know that as you continue to walk in submission, just in general, it's a fragrant offering, not just before your spouse, but before your children. As I have a gentle and a quiet spirit that it talks about in 1 Peter 3, um, instead it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. As I walk in a gentle and quiet spirit that you get through submission, you, you, it's, the two are... are, are are linked together. As you submit, God does a gentle and a quiet spirit in you. It's just beautiful. And the fragrance of that affects my kids first and foremost, because Ken's not home all day during the day. And then it affects Ken and then it affects my relationships because I'm gentle. I'm quiet. I'm not uptight or mean or angry. And just practically some of the ways that I would say how I've learned to walk this out, you know, we've only been married 12 years and I, I trust that we'll continue to go from greater heights to greater heights. Um, in our marriage and more and more beauty. But as I've continued to walk this out, one of the best ways that I think I've seen that's helped me is surrounding myself with other women who love submission and, and not being in super best friend, close relationships with contentious marriages. And here's why 
I, I would be in those relationships with those women if I was trying to reach out to them and pray for them and love on them. But in terms of who I want to talk to during the day, it is so helpful for me to talk to other women who are like, one of my good friends called me the other day crying, saying, pray for me. I'm really wrestling with submitting to my husband, and I need you to pray for me. I want to get this right, Laura. Those are the kind of relationships I love to be in because I'm like, yes. And as I'm praying for her, I'm like, hey, will you pray for me too? Because there's this issue and we're praying for each other. Those are the kind of relationships that are rich where you spur one another on in that. The other thing is um, I surround my eyes. I try to surround my eyes and be very careful with what I put before my eyes. So this is just a plaque that we have in our house. It's 1 Corinthians 13. And every day I probably walk past this 100 times a day because I work at home. It says, so I see little, you know, snippets of 1 Corinthians 13, but one of them is, love does not insist on its own way. And I walk past that all day long, thinking of my children, thinking of Ken. Love does not insist on its own way. Oh, yeah, that's what love is. Love is patient. It's kind. It, it, it always protects. It always trusts. The other thing I do is I put, I put literature in front of my eyes that teach me how to do this. When you talk about older women training younger women, this is one of my favorite magazines. I'll leave it up here so any one of you can take it. And it, it's a lot of older women training younger women. You can chew the meat, spit out the bones. I don't love everything in it. But it's a lot of older women training younger women on how to do this. Focus on the Family puts out literature. Just this month, it talks about getting closer to God and your marriage. I read these things. I put them before my eyes so it spurs me on. I, um, I go to conferences that teach me how to be a better mom. I go to conferences that teach me how to be a better wife once a year. Don't think I always go to conferences. <laughs> but I, I, uh, I try and put those things before my life, assuming that I need input to help me get there. And the Bible says I do. It says you're going to need an older woman to show you how to do this. So that's, that's my little snippet on submission. Thanks, Laura. <clears throat> I'm a blessed man. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Uh, it just, it honestly makes it easy. You know, it makes me want to love like Christ loves the church. Sometimes you dig in your heels in your marriage, right? Because she didn't do that, so now I'm not going to do this. Just, it's just a good time to surrender. Like, any time is a good time to surrender and just take the first step. So I don't know what your situation is, but... If you, if you guys ever find yourself having dug your heels in before, I just know the Lord says to me often, like, just do it. Just, just love. Just love the way I love. The church constantly is digging its heels into God, is it? I mean, is it not? For crying out loud, we're not there yet. Jesus hasn't come back. There's always a little tug, a little resistance, and it doesn't hinder Jesus from loving. He keeps going. Let that be your example. I've got to bring up one last passage before we go, so we're going to shift back to you men. Should have done it earlier, but yeah, it's a good way to close it out. First Peter 3, Laura just read that instruction to women, and Peter goes on to address men. Verse 7, 1 Peter 3, it says, Husbands, in the same way. So again, see the relationship. This is in the same way, in that same quiet, gentle spirit. It's not like you dudes get to be boisterous and rude. That's not, there, there's, that's, that's not love. That's not manhood. That's not what Jesus, there's not supposed to be that kind of contrast. In the same way. In the same spirit of love and submission that the wife is called to relate to her husband with, you men, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Be considerate. That's a challenge for guys. You know, especially, you know, guys, if you grew up relating mostly to guys, which is what most guys do before they're married, guys just aren't as considerate with each other as they need to be with their wives. Because guys don't care about consideration as much as their wives generally do. They're a little more brash. They're a little rougher around the edges. You don't get to talk to your wife the way that you talk to your buddies. Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. As the weaker partner. As heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Catch this. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Do all these things, men, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So you can deduce from that that if you don't do those things, something will hinder your prayers. And you might think, well, that just kind of sounds like some kind of odd exhortation. Um, it's not. Here's the deal, guys. If you live with your wife in an inconsiderate, rude manner, and you don't respect her as a fellow heir of the gracious gift of life that you've been given... God's not listening. He's just going to shut you out. You can ask him for whatever you want, and he's not listening. And he won't answer. That's what it says. And in fact, 
I had a situation where somebody I knew, zealous for Jesus, passionate for Jesus, which was manifested in so many different ways, uh, just struggled in his marriage. And at one point, years of frustration kind of came to a head at one point. And he said to me, he said, Ken, I've, I wake up at the same time every morning. I rigidly seek God. I read my Bible. I pray with all my heart. I won't let myself off early. I, I, I'm, I'm so disciplined. And I haven't heard God speak to me in years. This was his confession to me. And a few others during the season of his life. And through a series of interactions... The Lord pointed him to 1 Peter 3, 7, three or four times in a row. And, and, and basically pointed out what was happening. You can have all the zeal, all the passion in the world, but she's your bride. And you're to treat her the way I treat my bride. And you're just not doing it, so I'm not listening. And he had a breakthrough because he repented of that. And that very day, the Lord just came over him like a flood. And, the, and the, 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 just the vitality of fellowship with Jesus was alive again. It was fresh. And it radically transformed his own interaction with God because he began to treat his wife like his wife. So, so man, I just want to call you in your marriages to just lay down your, your macho sense of what it, you know, either born out of just car, carnality or some twisted idea of what it means to be the head of your wife. The head of your wife means you're mandated to serve your wife unto death. You don't push her around. You never push her around. You're going to get pushed around if you push her around. That's how it's going to go down, guys. Keep your hands off. You treat her with respect. You live with her in a considerate way. So that God can hear you because he'll shut you down in a hurry. And we don't want that, do we? That's our litmus test. You want to be closer to God, men? Love your wife better. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would give us the grace to love one another. To submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Universally, Jesus, we, we want that. We need that. That's what you did. That's our call. And it's really our joy. You said that whoever seeks to save his life, he'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So God, we want to find our life in you today by submitting ourselves one to another, by submitting ourselves um, in every relationship, by husbands manifesting this submission and laying their lives down for their wife and in wives walking in submission to their husbands if they're married. God, I pray for your blessing on marriages in this church. Father, I pray that more than just married, God, that we would we'd be gloriously married, Lord. That we really would experience the, the beauty of your relationship to the bride in our relationship with one another in marriage. In Jesus' name, God, I, I pray that you would protect marriages from the schemes of the enemy. Father, I pray that you would make men, husbands and wives, conscious and aware of the, 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 the seeds that the enemy is planting in the relationship to bring devastation and destruction. And, uh, and God, I ask that they would be dealt with in humility and in meekness and in submission to you and to one another. In Jesus' name, God, I pray that you would preserve these marriages, that they not only endure until death do us part, but they would flourish and, and, and rightly illustrate your love for your church. In Jesus' name. Amen.